Welcome to the Catholic Brides Podcast. My name is Anne, and I would like to welcome you to my show. On this podcast, we will be talking about what it means to be a Catholic bride, how to prepare for marriage, and how to walk with your spouse towards heaven. I'm excited that you're here, and I invite you to grab your favorite drink, settle in, and let's have a heart-to-heart about what it means to be a Catholic bride in today's world. to the Catholic Brides podcast. I am super excited for today's episode. We are joined by Annie Harton. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist um, based in Indianapolis. Um, Welcome to the show, Annie. Thank you. Super excited to have you. Why don't we just start by you just telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yes, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, like you said, in Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm working at a uh, practice where I'm able to integrate my faith uh, here on the South Side. Um, I really enjoyed being able to utilize uh, my background in theology, um, some skills in writing. I'm also an author. And I also do a little bit of photography. So tomorrow I'm uh, taking photos at a wedding. So that's another way that I love to highlight love. Super cool. I'm also a photographer as well. Um, So that's awesome. Um, So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what you do as a marriage and family therapist and kind of the process that you um, do there? Yeah, so... As a marriage and family therapist, I see individuals, couples, and families, but my favorite uh, clients to work with are probably uh, premarital, Uh, so whether that is uh, prior to engagement, prior to marriage, um, I, I feel like it's really powerful to begin some really important dialogue for people to recognize how they are bringing their stories of singleness or their stories of childhood into this lifelong relationship that will integrate the stories forever. So we don't lose ourselves, um, but we are called to give ourselves uh, when we get married. So I love um, encouraging them to know and find power and meaning in their stories so they're able to learn more about one another and they're able to teach their partner about themselves. That's super cool. Um, So when you're talking about like stories, what types of things are we like looking for? Like if somebody is like coming to you and you're helping them like formulate their story, what types of things are you looking for um, for them to be able to formulate that? Yeah, I have really found a lot of interest in narrative therapy. So someday I may be some official narrative therapist, but right now I just use uh, some techniques uh, that I've learned from the power of telling our story and really recognizing the problematic piece to our story. So a lot of times we define ourselves by our anxiety, our depression, 
our addiction, um, some sort of trauma in our lives that we think that that defines us. But what narrative therapy teaches is that the problem is the problem. You are not the problem, but you are in relationship to it. So it really helps to really change our language around and really recognize that we are much more uh, than what we kind of the box that we put ourselves in. So I help people externalize uh, the problematic piece of their story, typically by drawing it or kind of figuring it out as some sort of villain and really recognizing what powers the villain has and then kind of how we can combat that uh, as an individual, as a couple, um, in order to really befriend it in a way that our stories are with us. Uh, we can't change the past. We can't change, um, you know, kind of a lot of aspects to it, but we can um, change the way we inter interact with it in the present and in the future. And when that mm -hmm. comes into a marital relationship, it's important to be transparent. It's, an, it's important to know how to ask for what we need and how to offer our help in, you know, welcoming ways uh, to our mm -hmm. partner's stories as well. That's pretty cool. Um, so like if we're integrating our stories together, um, is there like a process that you use for couples to be able to like kind of go through that together um, or like steps that they can take even on their own, like in their own life um, at home to be able to like open up these discussions and talk about different things like that? Um, yeah, a, a lot of times we need to be open to getting to know our story and to be able to confront it. A lot of times we just want to shake, um, to shake off the past or to close a book. Um, you know, we want to kind of stop the movie halfway through instead of seeing how it, how it finishes up. So we want to kind of give up or, or close ourselves down to learning about a past experience or a past uh, relationship that we had that really impacted us. Um, but the best way to do that is to continue to date, continue to be vulnerable and trust your partner to really listen and to, li to listen to uh, understand rather than to listen to respond. So one of the ways I do that is through the Gottman method. So Dr. Gottman uh, is one of the top marriage resources um, researchers, and he has taught the system that is called the, the sound relationship house and the bottom foundation. So when you build a house, you can't just get to shared meaning. You have to kind of walk up the steps you have to build up the walls um, of the house in order to get to the roof, in order to get to um, kind of sky's the limit uh, analogy. So the foundation is what he calls love maps. And these are the kind of questions that you would ask on first dates or you know early stages of the relationship about, um, tell me more about yourself and tell me about your favorite job that you've had or what your relationship is like with your family. and just what are your interests and just kind of easy, easy, natural 
questions that you would ask someone that you're interested in, especially at the beginning. But often in relationships, we kind of miss we missed those seasons of transition and forget that we are constantly changing and our spouse is constantly changing as well. So to go back into those creative questions uh, that really bring out some deep answers and to really remember that we are always changing our interests and our environments, whether we're changing jobs or moving or our dreams are shifting, uh, to really go back and kind of to the beginning and to go back to the basics so that we can build up and get to know each other because to truly love is to truly know. So in order to really be loved, we have to be fully known. And if we don't ask those questions um, or have those questions asked of us, we won't feel known and we won't feel like we know our partner either. Okay. So when you're saying like asking first date questions, like you mentioned a couple of them, like, tell me about yourself, tell me about your family. Um, I'm assuming that those like change over time as well. Right. So obviously like we're married, like you're married to your spouse. You're not going to ask them to tell me about yourself, but would there be like more questions that are adapted to later on in your relationship? Like after you're married, as opposed to first date questions because I'm assuming that they'll be similar but is there specific questions that work better at specific times of life yeah there are so many questions to choose from there's actually a free app um, that is called card decks just like a deck of cards Um, and it's based off of Dr. Gottman's research and there's different themes um, whether that's rituals of connection or um questions having to do with sex and intimacy, uh, questions having to do with um, just general love maps, questions for men, questions for, wo- questions for women. And a lot of these questions are not like business-like questions. So a lot of couples start to live like roommates or start to just talk about managing the household or being parents uh, rather than forgetting about the passion and the interest of what going on a date is like. So so when you go on a date, you're actually asking uh, curious questions about one another, not about, oh, do the blinds need to get fixed or, oh, we need to take that kid to that event next week. Um, But to really kind of step back and realize that before anything else, your marriage needs to be built up because the more time and investment we put into our marriage, everything else will flow from that. And I think the world has kind of forgotten of the order of that. We kind of distract ourselves with everything else. And then we try to reconnect 20 years later when the kids leave and realize that we haven't kept up with those questions and we haven't kept up with that dating relationship. So we feel very estranged and and the other person feels very foreign to us. Yeah, that's so true. I I can see that in a lot of like couples because especially like as life gets busier and as children come into the picture that it can be super overwhelming and super like like you said, more of a business meeting as opposed to like a date. Um, 
Do you recommend like having a specific time for like set aside time, like specifically like Tuesday night is our date night and we go out and we don't talk about the kids or what do you recommend like as far as that goes? Yeah, it works differently for all couples, depending on what your jobs are like, depending on what your lifestyle is like, you know, whether someone travels a certain day of the week or, or what your typical traditions are each week. Um, I know that my parents grew up, so I'm the big sister of quadruplet siblings. So I grew up in a busy household that the doctors encouraged me to go to preschool early (laughs) to get away from the quads. Uh, And then my parents were encouraged to continue dating as well. So my parents have had this really healthy friendship in their marriage because they have made it a point to go out almost every Friday and Saturday night um, on some sort of date. Uh, Mm -hmm. So whether they left us with some, you know, pizza or um, fish sticks or something in the the oven, um, they knew that whether they were gone for a little bit of time or kind of a longer evening with friends and we had a babysitter, um, they knew that we would be thankful for that in the future, even if we kind of whined about it when they were leaving walking out, out the door. And now I'm a marriage counselor preaching that same thing to every every client I have is go out on dates and don't listen to what the kids <laughs> think because they think that they need you there at all times. But if the marriage is not healthy, then the kids are not going to gain all that they need to from the love in the marriage. So true. Um, going back to what you said a little bit ago about the Gottman method could Mm -hmm. you um I think you said there were stair-stepping blocks is there are they specifically laid out could we go into that in a little bit more detail yeah so he calls uh the sound relationship house um I really like that image because if you really think about building a house you have to be aware of what stage of the building process you are in. So you start with love maps. And then after you really feel like you've connected and you've grown in knowledge with one another, you start to think about how am I showing fondness and admiration? How am I turning, you know, how am I letting my partner know that I love and I care for them and that I'm not just taking something from them, but I'm kind of showering my love on them and knowing that I am there for them. Um, And then the next step is about turning away or turning toward. That's one of the biggest factors in relationships is knowing these bids for connection, that we are constantly, almost constantly making these bids, whether that's pointing out something out the window, if a bird flew by, if we're pointing out, hey, there's a bird, you know, um, the way that our partner responds to us shows us how invested they are. So if we start a conversation or we try to, you know, get some attention, um, our partner can either turn away, turn against, or turn towards us and connect. And the more bids that we are making and the more connected we feel, um, the, the more, the more plentiful our emotional bank account. So all of these bids that we're making, all of these investments that we're making into our 
our deposit, our, our, our emotional bank account, we're able to really lean on that when situations are hard. So when there's a typical difficult season, which everyone will have some sort of um, dip, just like we have hills and valleys of all sorts of things. And we know that that's the case in life too. We have, we have rougher seasons, but if you are typically responded to when you want the other's attention, when you want to connect, when you want to initiate a conversation, when you want to grow deeper, uh, then those seasons will be more um, manageable because you have some money in the bank, so to speak. So you're not going to be running on kind of a broke statement. You're going to be able to lean on one another knowing, oh, this, this is just an off day rather than, oh, this is what they always do. They never listen to me. So that's kind of that next statement. And then, and then you continue to grow from there. But one of the big parts of the turning away and turning toward are the four horsemen. So he calls these the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which I always think is pretty entertaining because I went to the University of Notre Dame. And so there's a history of the four horsemen um, in, in the football football life there. So it's kind of funny when I recall these four horsemen that don't have anything to do with football or Notre Dame, but these are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And he calls them that because the apocalypse is like the end of the relationship. So they did this study um, in the love lab. So I think it was in Seattle and they put couples into this love lab and we're just kind of keeping an eye on them for a weekend. So it's just like a couple that's asked to go into this apartment for a weekend and just listening to how they speak to one another. And they could start predicting whether people were going to get divorced within five minutes. So they weren't going to get divorced in five minutes, but within five minutes of observing a certain couple, they could tell the probability that this couple would either be totally depressed for the rest of their life or um, be separated or divorced. And something that they used in order to make that make that bold bold predict prediction is to see when the four horsemen would show up and how often they did. So if the four horsemen showed up within five minutes, um, that was a clear sign that the couple was not going to uh, do very well going forward. Um, there is hope. So if you if you acknowledge these four in your relationship, this is what I'd love to help couples really really um, use some helpful an um, antidotes and heal these areas. So there is hope, but if you don't recognize that they're there, you're just gonna keep eating at each other. But the four are um, defensiveness, criticism, contempt, and stonewalling. So the four again, defensiveness, which is when you just kind of fight back, it's like a, re a reflex. So everyone knows kind of a defensive uh, lineman or some sort of defensive. If you get something thrown at you, you're going to just kind of want to want to throw it back. Mm -hmm. Contempt is when you talk like you are better than another. So when you are acting like you are kind of an elite, you are better, that person's just lower, they're not as good, they're so stupid, just kind of this tone of 
oh, I can't believe you even exist kind of type, type talk. Uh, criticism is when you criticize the person or something to do with their character instead of a task or a specific point. So if someone didn't do the dishes, um, you could say, oh, you're so lazy. You don't do, you know, you don't do anything around the house. Instead of really saying, oh, you didn't, didn't do the di dishes today. So it points out the person's um, kind of dignity almost. So you kind of like poke at the person's character as a whole. Um, and then the fourth is stonewalling. And I'm excited because I actually just got a little oxygen, um, oxygen and heart rate reader uh, for your finger, the ones you have in the in the hospital. And mm -hmm. Dr. recommends using these for couples work because stonewalling is when your heart rate goes above 100 and it's telling your body that you are not, you are not emotionally able to process anymore. So you may be physically in the conversation or the argument, but you are not emotionally there. So there's some, there's a flooding that happens that you aren't able to really hear anymore. You're not really able to engage, but you just stay put. So the partner thinks that you are engaged, but that you are just so overwhelmed. Your heart rate is skyrocketing. And so stonewalling is the tendency to not know when a break needs to be taken and when you need to step away and really be able to cool down before you really take in what the what your partner is bringing to you. Okay. Um, so with the stonewalling thing, is it just a matter of then communicating when, like if you realize that this is happening, do you just communicate to your partner that, hey, I need to step away from this or what is the best way to approach that? Yeah. Um, it takes a lot of awareness to know your own body and to also know signs that your partner is shutting down. So sometimes someone may not realize that's what they're doing, uh, but you can tell sometimes if someone is kind of zoning out or if they are, you know, getting red in the face maybe, or if they're just, you know, if you can kind of feel their, you know, their, their, their breath is kind of being, being taken and you just don't really know what's either happening with them or your own body. If you're like, I'm getting really stressed right now and I don't feel like I can think clearly. I don't really think that I can respond well. You know, this isn't going to end well if I stay here. So I'm just going to get more and more angry or I'm just frustrated. Um, the best thing to do when you notice you or your partner is feeling that way is to be okay with taking a break. Um, even though um, it's always ideal to have conversations when you, you know, feel called to have conversations, um, it's also healthy to be able to either um, accept a break or suggest a break. So if you are stopping in the doorway to bring up a conversation to to maybe your husband that is finishing up some work in his office and he's not really totally present with you right now and he's just going to get kind of more frustrated um, with his wife who is who is standing there and he's not really ready to to uh, 
communicate at that moment. He's finished up with some more emails and then he'll be ready in an hour or so. So even though she wants to talk now, he could easily say, I know you really want me to hear you right now and I want to hear you. Uh, but right now my, my, my focus is elsewhere. And I think dinner tonight would be a really helpful time to discuss that. So can we continue over dinner or can we continue after dinner? You know, if you have kids at, mm -hmm. kids at the table. Um, so the biggest thing about taking a break is to come up with a time to return. Never should you take a break and not have a return time because the other will always wonder, are we going to continue that? How often do I nag you about continuing that? You don't wanna feel abandoned. So mm -hmm. the biggest thing is to take a break, whether that's, hey, I need to go on a run. I need to go take a nap. I need to go, you know, watch a TV show, like doing something that's kind of cooling you down, something that's not going to be overwhelming for you. Mm -hmm. But then to say, hey, tomorrow morning or, you know, or I'm really tired, I really need to sleep right now. So can we talk about it in the morning or um, anything? So it can, the break should not be super long mm -hmm. and you should be able to at least come back together within, within 20, 24 hours, if not, if not shorter, but it's mm -hmm. important to have that, that, that date to schedule to say, mm -hmm. Hey, I know this is important and I want to be at my best when I engage with you. Yeah, that's super helpful, I think, because I know in my own life um, with my husband and I talking, when we talk about things and I can totally see now like what you're talking about with the stonewalling and stuff. And it is a lot more fruitful when we do have a set time of like, hey, we're going to talk about this at this specific time, like take a break and then come back to it. Um, because even if we don't, then it, like you said, it's like, how, how much do I nag you about it? Like, when are we going to talk about it again? So I think I agree with you that like having that set date or like set time to come back and talk about it is like super helpful and super, I think healthy as well, because then you both have the same expectation and you're not like constantly waiting and wondering and you can come back to it and settle it that way. So I think that's super helpful and makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And it, and it shows that you are interested and that you are willing. So I think it sounds at first, like at first it sounds like you're rejecting them, right? So if someone wants to come talk to you and you're like, eh, I'm not ready for that. So you feel like that would be a rejection. So it does take some humility. It does take, you know, a hit. It may be frustrating for the person initiating the conversation to say, man, I was really wanting to talk about it now, but I appreciate that you care for me so much that you are scheduling another time where you will be able to be more loving, mm -hmm. right? So it's this balance between knowing when the boundaries are appropriate to say, where, when is our best yes made? One of, the, one of the best books I think is called The Best Yes by Lisa Turkhurst. I love every single book of hers. One of my favorite authors, I quote her in my own, in my own book. Um, but she always talks about the best yes. Sometimes we have to say no to a good yes in order to choose the best yes. So it's just kind of a balance between knowing what to say yes to and when and how to communicate why 
instead of just saying, no, I can't talk, but to say, I really want to engage well with you. You mean a lot to me, but right now I'm super distracted and I just can't be the spouse that you need right now. Like I, I want to wait until we can really sit down and not have any distractions around. For sure. Um, so one other question I had for you is I know some of our listeners might be like just starting out in marriage or like are engaged to be married. What would be your top tip for like people that are just starting out to like start off on a good foot, so to speak? Mm-hmm. Well, I've already said one of them, um, is to never stop dating. Never. Um, I know that sounds super easy at first and then there's all these excuses that come up afterwards but don't stop dating dating will save your marriage it will save your whole mental health you will remember that you chose each other that you are cared for and can get away from the cares of the world for a little bit and be with your partner and actually live as a partner live as a cherished bride right you know live as a like to remember as a groom why you pursued this relationship why why did you choose this um so that's kind of the biggest thing is just get in a pattern of picking that date night or picking that commitment to know we need to continue to have conversations that are about us and we and do this together as a team and to really listen to um understand uh, rather than listening to respond. Um, Another thing is pray together. Um, The number, I just heard that couples who pray together um, have less than a 1% chance of divorce. So couples who pray together have less than a 1% chance of divorce. And this can be any sort of prayer, uh, whether it's you know, speaking out loud to each other, um, meditating in some way, listening to a sermon or a talk or listening to music, um, being able to really connect and share what you need in some Mm -hmm. way. Um, I think that is so essential. And it's interesting to have couples come in here and say that they are willing to have sex, but they think that prayer is way too intimate so that depending on how long they've been married they've never ever sat down and actually shared intentions or shared any concerns about really what's going on in their in their in their faith and their relationships and I just think that's such a fascinating statistic that you know one percent um So I want people to know that stat and kind of similarly as natural family planning has kind of the same stat. So if you do natural family planning, which means charting and being able to discuss your um, cycles and to discuss your fertility together, it takes a lot of communication to come together. So you don't feel like you're using each other, but you are coming together um, as a team. And I think that divorce statistic is less than 5%. I think. Mm-hmm. And the only downside of that is some sexual frustration. Um, yeah. But that is the only, only thing. So those two, two things both help with communication, connection, and being able to build that strong foundation that is going to be very hard to break. Mm, for sure. 
Um, so I just have one more question for you. This is kind of one that I'm asking all of my guests. Um, what is your favorite Bible verse slash passage? Um, man, there's a, there's a lot of them, but I keep going back to Philippians 4.13. Um, a baseball player, when I was in elementary school, actually signed uh like I, I got one of my mom's voided checks and she so she voided the front and then I got this guy's autograph on the back and he wrote Philippians 413 under his name and I rushed home and I opened up my Bible to see what that was and since then Phil 413 um stands out a lot for me and especially after this last weekend's reading at church uh just knowing that as we're preparing for Christmas and knowing um, one mightier than I is coming and one, you know, through all the trials we have and um, that God is mightier and that we don't have to understand everything. We don't have to accomplish everything. We don't have to depend on our own, own strength. But when I work with my couples, I always say, I will hold the hope for you until you're ready to pick it back up again. And I feel like that's kind of what God does God does to us. And I just got this sign from my office um, that has a quote from one of my new favorite songs from Joshua Hislop. Um, that's called Gentle Heart. And the, and the sign says, we found hope in a hopeless time. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, really reminds me that I don't have to have all the answers and I can just hope and wait um, in this joyful hope, knowing that, um, there will be grace, there will be answers, there will be understanding, but it may not come in, in the time that I'm, that I'm expecting it. That's so beautiful, especially like in regards to 2020 and how that's been. <laughs> um, I think that's, um, super great to remember mm -hmm. as well. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us, Annie. It's been great having you today. Yeah. Can I, um, can I share my book? Yep, for sure. Um, so I wrote a book uh, for singles and married and all vocations, really, but it's called Single Truth. You are more than your relationship status. And I wrote about what I've learned about love as a single marriage counselor and I think it really reminds us not to define ourselves by our status. So even if you are engaged, if you are married, to not put our whole worth into that, but to remember that we are our own person that is able to give our love um, to one another instead of having that kind of stolen from us in a way of not saying that we don't lose ourselves in the relationship that we give ourselves. And we are so much more than our job. We're so much more than our relationship. We're so much more than all of the different labels and boxes that we, that we put ourselves into. That's awesome. I think that's like a super great reminder, especially in today's society where it's all about boxes and whether or not you're dating or married. Um, I think it's a super great reminder to like kind of forego the boxes and remember that God has a place for you in this season right now where you are. Yep. 
Well, awesome. I will put a link to Annie's book in the description. And thank, thank you everybody for tuning in. And I hope you have a wonderful day. And God bless you all. And we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks, Anne. You have been listening to the Catholic Brides podcast. If you enjoyed this content, I invite you to subscribe to the podcast. If you would like to get in touch with me, I invite you to either message me on Instagram or send me an email at catholicbrides at gmail.com. I look forward to having you join me again, and I look forward to connecting with you in the future. Thank you so much, and have a wonderful and blessed day.